Welcome to New Beginnings Fellowship Podcast. Wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by today's message. Good morning, church family. How's everybody doing this morning? Listen, I got to tell you, it is an honor, it is a privilege to be in the house of the Lord with each and every one of you here today. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, I hope that changes by the end of the day. If you don't know me, let me introduce myself. My name is Matt. I have the wonderful honor and privilege of being the associate pastor here at New Beginnings Fellowship, where it is our heart to radically love, serve, and encourage. Thank you uh, for choosing to worship with us here this morning. Very special shout out to those tuning in online. Maybe you can be here this morning for one reason or another, but uh, hey, next week's a new opportunity. We hope to see you right here in this place here today. I want to take a moment uh, before we get started first and apologize in advance. Um, Some of you may know that we've got a a big Teams event this afternoon. Um, We have a chili cook-off for our teams, and the very idea of that has my stomach rumbling uh, in anticipation. Teams, if you didn't know that, hey, hang around after second service. You are not going to want to miss out. Uh, We will have a word of encouragement uh, some team meetings, and most importantly, some delicious chili, uh, a chili battle, if you will. Um, last week, Pastor Jeremy was here, and he brought the fire. Can I get a good amen? Didn't Jeremy do awesome last week? Oh, man, what a good word. He talked about the importance of handling conflict in a manner worthy of the gospel, how we are to throw off the don't get mad, get even mentality, and seek restoration whenever it is possible. This week's passage focuses on the importance of maintaining holiness with our bodies. And as we begin to move towards today's sermon, I'm going to take a moment and issue a warning to parents. Parents, the Bible is not always rated G. It's not. Okay? Uh, Just look at Song of Solomon, Ezekiel, even this week's passage uh, for reinforcement of that idea. So if you have little ears in your vicinity, now might be a good time to take them back to our world-class MBF kids facility where they will be safe, where they will have fun, where they will receive a gospel message custom tailored just for them. I'm going to pause for just a second, see if anybody, this is your last chance. Going once, going twice. Don't say I didn't warn you because today we're going to be getting into some historical as the Bible says, ickiness. Uh, you had your chance. But anyways, I'm going to jump right into it, into today's passage. We are in 1 Corinthians, picking up where we left off last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12 through 20. If you'd like to turn there and follow along with me. If not, it will be on the screens to either side of me. It goes like this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raises the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined with a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, 
but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This is the word of God. I now would like to invite a very special guest, my son Carson. Carson, come on out here, buddy. He is going to pray uh, over today's message. Give it up for Carson. Yeah. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this time we get to worship your name, and I hope that this message we are about to read uh, here helps us grow closer to you. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Love you. Good word. So, years ago, we had the whole family home on a snow day. Love a good snow day. As luck would have it on this particular snow day, my wife Amber was not feeling well at all. Ultimately, we made the decision to seek out medical treatment for what ended up being a pretty gnarly kidney infection. Sorry if that's TMI. On a snow day, this is going to be a little bit more complicated than usual. So the plan we arrived at was this. Drop my wife Amber off at Cox. Drop the kids off at a friend's house nearby and then go back to the hospital to be with her. Sounds pretty simple, right? There's one thing you need to know about the Harmons. Things are never as simple as you would expect them to be. Here's what happened. So the first part of the plan went off without a hitch. We make it to the hospital. I drop her off. And then I am en route nearby to drop off the kids. They were ranging from about four to eight at that time. Very small. Very small. It's a snow day. Remember, that's, I cannot stress how important that fact is. It is a snow day. So I'm en route to drop the kids off. I jump on North 65, and my truck just decides to quit working. On North 65, on a snow day, and what makes things especially tricky, it being a snow day, um, first off, it's, it's a snow day, so you would expect there's no cars, right? Wrong. You would have thought that it was the 4th of July weekend. There was traffic everywhere. I have no idea what was going on. Maybe people were heading to the ski slopes. I don't know. Ski slopes of Branson. Traffic everywhere. My car stops working in the middle of Highway 65 on a snow day. What makes things super sweet is there are ice-crusted mountains of snow on both shoulders, so I can't even get off the road. And, oh yeah, remember where I'm going? I'm taking the kids to a friend's house to drop them off. So this isn't a me problem. This is a we problem because my back seat is full of tiny humans. I am not kidding when I say I was truly afraid for our lives. I finally somehow, some way, find just a little bit of an opening to kind of get my truck mostly off on the side of the road. I call our friend. She's kind enough to come meet us. And then I tightrope walk the kids one by one as traffic whizzes by at 80 miles an hour inches from my nose as I'm carrying tiny humans one by one to her car. Thank the Lord I got them safely packed into her vehicle. But I still have a problem. I am broke down on the side of the road, stranded, and I'm trying to figure out how the heck I'm going to rescue my wife who is also stranded at the hospital. The tow truck driver shows up about 30 minutes later and he was the real MVP of the day, let me tell you. 
He offered to take me to my house, which was perfect, because now my only option to rescue my wife was our minivan in the driveway. And fortunately, I had that key on my keychain. I say that because when I get home, thanks, tow truck guy, I'll catch you later, I realize which key I did not have on my keychain. I did not have my house key. So what, Matt? Why do you need your house key? Because when I got there for some reason that is still unclear to this day, every single smoke alarm in my house is blaring, going off. It's insane. And to add insult to injury, my poor dogs are inside losing their ever-loving minds. So what do I do? I uh, I quickly assess the situation going from window to window. I see no smoke. I see no, no flames. I just hear smoke alarms going off, dogs howling uh, like they are, their lives are being wrestled away from them. I assess the situation, which is super easy on a snow day. 24-inch drifts of snow. I'm just window to window, stepping through, peering through. Good, 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 no flames. So I decide, I decide that the best option at this point in time was to get back to Amber because she has the house key and quickly get back home as quickly as possible to get in and figure out why the heck these smoke alarms are going off. So I jump in the car and I know I've got to hurry. So I gamble. You see, there's two ways back to the hospital. There's the shortcut, there's the cutoff, or there is the up the main road, which is definitely clear. I decided to gamble. I just, it's a gamble because I knew that the cutoff was not completely cleared. But if I could make it through, I could save a good five minutes of getting there. So it was definitely worth the risk. Just kidding. I take off. I'm trying to get through. It would be worth it if I get through. Guess what? I didn't get through. Kids, this is why you don't gamble. I got stuck on a patch of icy slush. Who knew that a giant, flat, rectangular, ice-flavored snow cone was going to be my undoing? I was stuck on this patch of slush. Unbelievable. So I just spin my tires, and I keep going. I keep getting a running start. I keep trying to get through. And somehow, some way, I don't know how, I made it. I made it through. 30 minutes smoking tires, spinning tires. I made it through. I thought I was home free. I was not home free. Turns out, minivan tires are not designed to be spun in smokes for 30 minutes straight. So I get up on the main road, and next thing you know, my tire is on the ground. I had worn a hole in one of my tires, and it was completely flat. Again, I don't know how, but I managed to limp my vehicle to the next gas station, put just enough air in it to limp another block to the tire shop. I get to the tire shop, and 30 minutes later, after two new tires were put on my vehicle, spontaneously buying new tires is always fun, am I right? Yeah, I gotta love that. What you don't realize was all this time, Amber and I had not communicated. She called me, I missed it. I called her, she missed it. Phone tag, phone tag, back and forth. I finally, 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 what seems like weeks later, after all the shenanigans, made my way back to the hospital to pick her up. She's not happy. She has no idea what I've just experienced. I come rushing in the door, desperate, panicking to find her, worried, and I'm greeting with, what took so long? If she only knew the chaos, the shenanigans. Like that day, today's passage has a lot going on. 
A lot, like a lot, a lot. In this passage today, we have some pretty eyebrow-raising references, a very intentional and significant use of rare literary structure by Paul. We have an important and timely reminder to Christians, but first, let's kick things off. Today's passage starts off with some comments and some responses in the first couple of verses. Verses 12 and 13. We're looking at the first half of 13. We'll jump to the second half of that in just a second. Where it says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. When you hear law, when you hear lawful in the Bible, I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear law, I think we're talking about God's law, biblical law, scriptural law. Right here, when you hear that term lawful, it's not in reference to the law of God as you might expect. The law of reference here in scripture is the law of man. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Let's look at another uh, version so we can see uh, and maybe get a little bit more clarity on what Paul is trying to say here. The NLT says it like this, verse 12. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Meaning this, you are free to choose to do whatever it is you want to do. But just because you can does not always mean you should. Let me say that again. I've been saying that to my kids for years, and right here Paul's backing me up. So guys, obviously this is true, this is scriptural, this is biblical. Just because you can does not mean that you should. I've never been a huge Eagles fan, the band, not the football team. But I'm, I'm a die-easy fan, not die-hard. I'm die-easy fan. They're cool. They're, they're okay. Um, there's a lot of nostalgia associated with that band for me because growing up, my mom was a huge Eagles fan. She loves the Eagles still to this day. We grew up listening in the car to their tapes. Yes, kids, tapes. Look it up. It was a thing. They're pretty awesome. We would listen to the Eagles uh, play. You know, it was kind of hit or miss for me, but there was one song in particular that I loved by the Eagles. My favorite Eagles song, not even close. Does anybody care to guess what my favorite Eagles song is? Take it easy? No, that's not it. Anybody else? What? Free Bird? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Praying for you, sister. That's Skinner. Leonard Skinner. <laughs> anybody? Anybody? <laughs> yes. My favorite song, by far not close, was Desperado. And I don't exactly know why. I loved the song. I love the song Desperado. It was my favorite. I think it's because I get in my feels sometimes, and it's kind of an emo song. I'm a little bit emo. You should know that about me. It's not funny. <laughs> and there's something about that song. It just always hit me. It hit me just right. I felt it in my bones for some reason. And if you're unfamiliar with the song, it goes a little something like this. I have to sing it. Is that okay? <clears throat> Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? Feel free to sing along if you like. You've been out riding fences so long now. Oh, you a hard one. 
I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you will hurt you somehow. I love that song. And I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't understand why I liked it. And I'm not sure it had anything to do with this. But did you catch it? Did you catch that last line? These things that are pleasing you, these things that please our bodies, that please our flesh, what do they do? They hurt us. These things that entice us, the things that we are drawn to in our flesh will ultimately, if we are not careful, become our undoing. But hey, we're free. And that's important, question mark. It's so important that we are free to make our own choices. And we are free. We are free to do whatever we want. We are free to choose whatever it is we want. So if you want to smoke three packs of cigarettes a day, you're free to choose that. If you are choosing to live primarily on a diet of potato chips and Twinkies, hey, it's your world. We're just living in it. You are free if you choose to get drunk every single night. You are free to abuse drugs. You are free to work countless hours away from your family every single week. You are free to rack up tens of thousands of dollars in debt on credit cards. You are free to be mean to your wife, to your husband, to your kids, to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers. You are free to choose to do that. It's your choice. But then what happens? What is the cost of that freedom to choose? That freedom that we've leveraged to make those life choices are replaced with something else. They're replaced with illness. That freedom is replaced with suffering. That freedom is replaced with anxiety with isolation, with addiction, and those things that we chose freely, any one of those things I mentioned before and more can ironically begin to dominate your life, wiping out that freedom that you chose this life with so that thing that you were free to do makes you no longer free. That freedom actually leads to bondage. Isn't it crazy how that works? So what did we just learn? Just because you can doesn't mean that you should, or as the Bible says, again, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you, and even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. How about that? Secondly, in verse 13, the phrase food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, that's kind of weird, right? What? What's that about? That phrase, if you look closer, you'll notice it's set off in quotation marks because those aren't Paul's words. He's quoting what the Corinthian people, especially the Corinthian church, commonly said at that time. They would use that phrase all the time to discount the significance of Jewish food laws. Paul then references another phrase commonly used at the time, and God will destroy both one and the other. This seems seems to be some sort of justification used by the Corinthian church to do whatever they please regarding food. In their view, food, the stomach, both are temporary. So why even bother? In the end, God's going to destroy both, right? 
So in the grand scheme of things, the stomach, which is part of the body, in the grand scheme of things, that's not all that important, right? Paul sets all this up to bring home his next point. The stomach is not inconsequential. The stomach is not consequential because it is part of the body, which is very much consequential for a variety of reasons. First, the, the, the body, this body, your body, my body will be taken and transformed by God. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, what? Transform our lowly body, not give us a new body, but take the one we have and transform it. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This body of ours ain't going nowhere, baby. You better get used to it. In light of this, we should consider what it says in Romans chapter 6. Verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't let sin manipulate, twist, contort, and destroy these mortal bodies. Instead, we are to, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice the connection. Your body, worship. Spiritual worship. Your body is not insignificant. What you do with your body to your body is not insignificant. Listen, church, God did not set us free to do whatever we want. I need you to know that this morning. God did not set us free to do whatever we want. God set us free to do whatever he wants. Do you see the difference? He set us free to do what he wants, to live the life he has created us to live. That's what Paul is showing us here. Given this view of the human body, it's clear that our human bodies have been created for higher purposes rather than for woe, for worship. Our bodies were created for worship and holiness rather than sexual sin like fornication. Do you see the difference here? To take something sacred like the body and use it for lowly purposes like sexual sin, defiles that which was created to be holy. Paul knows the importance of this content created in this passage. And through his writing, he's screaming, guys, this is so important. You can't miss this. So he gets creative. He tries to identify what are some ways, what are some things I can do to hammer this point home because it's so important. He didn't want the Corinthian church to sleep on this point. So he did something a little bit radical. He did something a little bit unique. And he used something called a chiasm, a rhetorical device used in literature where the author states a sentence, states a passage, states a verse, sometimes an entire chapter or even book, and then repeats it, develops it, only in reverse order. This device is actually used in Scripture quite a bit, this chiastic structure. For example, Mark 2.27 says this, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. See what happened right there? Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. The remainder of this section in this passage follows this same chiastic format. Here Paul uses a series of statements 
leading to a central port, uh, point and to ensure that those receiving this message receive it back loud and clear, he then restates it, reframes it, and works back from that central point in reverse order. What I'd like to do first is look at this passage as a whole, and then quickly break it down line by line, making those connections. Okay? Here's what it said, starting in verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, Genesis chapter 2, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. For every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, Let's look again at this chiastic structure of this passage. I've actually color-coded this for you to be able to follow along. And hopefully this color-coding further illustrates this connection. So let's quickly look first at the first half of uh, this passage, which leads to a main idea. Verses 13, the second half of verse 13 and 14 uh, talks about the body of the Lord, mentions resurrection, referencing Christ's resurrection and promising ours. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Our bodies are for God, are for God. And as he resurrected Christ, so too will he resurrect us. Because our, verse 15, bodies are members of Christ, Our bodies are members of Christ. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Your body is a member of Christ himself. If so, if you knew that, then how could you, how would you, why would you ever do something like uniting with prostitutes? Why prostitutes? Why are we bringing up prostitutes in this passage? What you have to understand is prostitution was very prevalent in this day and age, in this area of the world, in Corinth. And it was frequented by people within and outside of the church alike. Paul says, shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Why? Because, second, first part of 16 Uniting with a prostitute makes you one with her. Or do you not know that he who is joined with a prostitute becomes one body with her? And then the main point of the passage right here, smack dab in the middle, and we're going to work our way back from this in just a second. In the second half, it says this, 16b, two become one, unite, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. The two will become one flesh. Why? Because sex equals unity. A physical, a spiritual, an emotional uniting body, mind, and spirit with another person. Why would you ever unite 
with someone outside of the design God has created sex for. God's design is to promote, to create unity between man and woman, husband and wife. So to unite with a prostitute, and that's the first half. And this is the main point, whoever we are united with, um, whatever we are united with, that's what we shall be. And this is important because what you have to understand is you can't have both. You can't have unity with a prostitute and Christ. One with Christ and one with a prostitute, that is unfathomable. That is unimaginable. It is impossible. So why would he say that being one with Christ and one with a prostitute, why would he bring that up? Because you have to understand that unity that takes place, that is mentioned, that is created early on, chapter 2 of the entire Bible. Genesis 2 says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and there she become one flesh. That is the design of sex and how we are to use it to be united with that person that God has brought us together with. It was not designed to bring it together with prostitutes or outside the bounds of marriage. And here's the important part. That unity doesn't just go away. It's not that simple. To take it a step further, I believe Paul is saying here that we cannot be united with sin and one with Christ. We can't be united with sin and one with Christ simultaneously. Why? Because how God wants us to love him is like this. He wants all of us. He wants us fully outreached, outstretched, devoted, focused solely, primarily on him. When we're united with a prostitute or united with other forms of sexual sin, it looks more like this. I want you, God, but I'm not ready to let go of this. So it's a half-hearted dedication to him. You can't have both. What he wants is for us to release the sexual sin. That thing is holding us back and go arms outstretched fully to receive him fully. That is the design of how God wants us to love him, how he wants us to unite with him. Another way you might think about it is this. Dusty, uh, one of our elders also on the teaching team, was talking about it like this. When we are pursuing God, it's like a two-lane highway, right? We are on the northbound lane. Hey, see what I did right there? Northbound, get it? They're on the northbound lane driving towards pursuing God fully or we are turned around heading in the opposite direction. And that opposite direction cannot be anything but away from him. It's our choice. And that's what Paul is showing us right here in Scripture. So let's keep going back to the, uh, back, back to the chiasm. So watch this. This is so awesome. Second, ha- uh, second half in reverse order. I'm going to go very quickly. How am I doing on time? I'm going to go very quickly. So starting in verse 17, uniting with the Lord is choosing to instead be one with him, in one spirit with him. But he who is joined with the Lord shall become one spirit with him. So we are to choose to be united with the Lord, not with prostitutes, not with sexual immorality. And if we choose that, we should then, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality, for every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Did you know that sexual immorality is the only sin in all the Bible that we are told to flee from? Did you know that? 
Not stand firm, not fight, not don't give up. But when it comes to sexual sin, run! Get out of there! It's a losing battle. We defeat it by not being there at the time. Flee! Get away from sexual sin. You will be overcome by it. Don't think you're any different than anybody else. Sexual sin is the only sin that is committed against a person's own body. Every other sin is outside the body, whereas, every, whereas sexual sin is committed against your own body, poisoning you from the inside out. It's not good because, verse 19, that body that you're poisoning is a temple for the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit. Or did you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? This connects us to the first part in verse 15, where it says not only are our bodies temples of the Holy Spirit, but they are members of Christ. You see the connection there. Our bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit, and they are members of Christ. So remember, your body is, verse 19 and 20, it's not your own. Don't abuse this body. It was a blessing from the Father above. It is not our own. It is bought with a price, and that price was the cross. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, which connects us to verse 13 and 14, which says your body belongs to the Lord, not to sexual immorality. It's his, not doesn't belong to that. And the distinction is made here, church. It's one or the other. You have to choose. You cannot choose sexual immorality and choose God. You can't do it. So why did Paul choose this structure, this chiastic structure? People don't communicate chiastically today, and I think this was so important to Paul that he grabbed the attention of the reader because he was so desperate to get this message out. It was so important to him. I think he was worried about the impact on the church and the people within it that it was killing them. And maybe they didn't even fully realize how poisoning, uh, how poisoned they were being. So he decided to double down and illustrate how critical it is that you understand that fact. Likewise, I want to kind of wrap things up here today by illustrating a few points. A few things I want to wrap up with here today that remain every bit as important now as it was in the first century church. So to kind of wrap up here today, I got three main points I'm going to leave you with. The first is this. Number one, we have been united with Christ. We are united with Christ. We are united with Christ. While so often we as Christians focus on the health and the purity that we maintain in our heart, in our soul, what Paul is saying here, do not neglect maintaining the purity of your bodies. For your bodies belong to God. Your bodies are a temple, an indwelling place for the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God within you, allowing him to be one with us. Why would we ever want to, why would we ever want to unite with something impure then? Because you can't have both. You can't do it. The point of this passage is that we are to glorify God individually and communally by honoring him with our bodies as they belong to him. Which leads me to my second point. My second point is this. 
what our bodies want as humans is not what God wants. But we are to live in reverence to God because he has placed his spirit within us. Do you remember? These things that are pleasing you will hurt you somehow. You have to understand those, those desires of the flesh, they are misleading you. They are drawing you to spiritual death, drawing you away from the design for which you have been created by the Father. You can't have both. It's purity in our minds or it's purity in our bodies or impurity and separation from God. Finally, in a world that tells us, follow your feelings, live your life, we were reminded here with this final point that I want to share with you today, that we are not our own, that we were bought with a price so we can worship God with our bodies. I feel like that's the biggest misnomer for the church. We think our body, our choice, that's a secular idea, but I think it has even begun to infiltrate the church in its congregation. We abuse our bodies. We are impure in our bodies. We think it's our choice. We think it's okay because everything else is good. But that's not how we were created. We are created to worship God with our bodies, the way that we maintain our purity with our bodies, creating a proper temple for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with the, with the memory in our minds that these bodies are members of Christ himself. So we should act as thus is the case. We are to honor God with our bodies. This is a tough message to preach. This is a tough passage to preach. This is not one of those feel-good messages. And maybe you're in here today as Chad and the band begin to come out. And maybe you're in here today and you're like me. You feel like there's a lot of water under the bridge. You feel like you've got a lot of baggage, a lot of history maybe in this area. And it's this area that holds you back. It's this area that creates lies in your mind. Lies that keep you from stepping forward. Maybe you think you're in here today and you made horrible, sinful choices with your body. Choices too big, too deplorable, too disgusting that God could ever look past those and see you as anything more than damaged goods. I get that. When I think about my past, it makes me sick to my stomach. I shudder at the idea. I was a prisoner to that for a very long time. So I want to tell you something that someone told me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. It's dead. It's gone. It's buried. The new has come. You can choose to be new today in this place. You are made new in Christ Jesus because the blood he shed was to pay a price. That price was for your sin and that blood he shed covers it and it makes you new. The blood, you shed, the blood that he shed makes you new. The blood he shed makes you whole. The blood he shed makes you holy. You are not your own. You are not your own. 
We were bought with a price. A sacrifice was made by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It was a sacrifice that only he could make, and he chose to make it. And when he did, he had your face in his mind. The mistakes you've made, they don't have to hold you back anymore. You don't have to live in shame anymore. Your Father loves you. Yes, you, 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 even you, you. Your Father loves you. He chooses you in all your mess. And He wants to embrace you in His love today. He wants to begin to reveal how the redemption story of your life starts. And He wants to do it in this place here today. And here's how he's going to do it. I'd like to invite everyone to bow your heads. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. In just a second. Together. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of salvation. And it can be the prayer that kickstarts or reinvigorates your relationship with the Lord today. Then, Chad and the worship team are going to play and lead us in one more worship song. And as they do, the prayer team's going to come to the front one more time. If you'd like to come up and pray with someone, here at the front, they'll be available for that. If you want some one-on-one time at the altar with the Lord, hey, for that too. But we're going to start with this prayer. I'd like to invite every single person in this room to repeat it after. Dear Jesus, I have many sins, but you still love me. You still choose me. And I believe the blood that you shed washes away all my sins. Today, in this place, I invite you to be Lord of my life. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. And I believe your blood washes away all my sins. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for every single person in this room. I just pray that you continue to reveal to them truth. You would continue to reveal to them love, your mercies, the ways that they were uh, created, the design for their life. And God, I just pray that no one, no one in this place would be held back any longer because of the guilt, because of the shame of sexual sin, that they would let that fall off their shoulders and they would walk into the embrace of their Heavenly Father and know that in you they are made new, a new creation. The old is gone, new is here. Embrace Him in this place today, Lord. It's in the powerful, precious name of Jesus that all God's people said. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about New Beginnings Fellowship, connect with us or give, visit nbfhollister.org.